A new study from the Fraser Institute is out measuring the impact of federal personal income tax changes on middle-income Canadian families since 2015. With details on the findings, we are joined by Jake Fuss, Senior Economist with the Fraser Institute. Good morning to you, Jake. Good morning. Thanks very much for having me on. Thank you for being here. 2015, it's interesting. On paper, it doesn't seem like that that far long ago, but now we're getting to seven years. So I'm wondering, how has the tax burden on the middle-class families changed since 2015? Yeah, well, after making some changes to the tax system in 2015, um, you know, the federal government has claimed that it reduced personal income taxes for middle-class uh, Canadians. However, our recent study actually demonstrates that the government did not actually provide income tax relief for middle-class families. Um, in fact, around 86% of middle-income Canadian families have actually experienced an increase in federal taxes since 2015. Um, and on average, that translates to middle-class families paying about $800 more in taxes than they were previously. Um, So there have been some pretty significant changes over the last um, seven years or so. Jake, how is middle class defined, whether it's the family or the dollar figure? Yeah, so in our study, we separate um, Canadian families based on their income level um, into five different income quintiles. Um, So here we're mainly examining the middle income quintile in Canada. Um, So this is uh, middle class families with household incomes between about $84,000 and $118,000. So generally, if you have um, two people working in the family, that generally means they're earning between forty dollars to $60,000 each. The federal government has put forth the assertion that middle-class families are paying lower taxes, you know, currently and over the past couple of years. Is that the truth? Yeah, so one of the interesting things um, when we're looking at this, you know, in the, back in 2015, um, the federal government was talking about reducing the second lowest personal income tax rate from 22% to 20.5%. They did do that once they were elected, um, and that prompted them to have that claim that the government had cut taxes for middle-class Canadians everywhere. Um, but what we see at the same time is that they also eliminated several tax credits, um, like the Children's Fitness Tax Credit, Arts Tax Credit, Public Transit Tax Credits, um, Income Splitting, and several others. Um, while eliminating those tax credits certainly helps simplify the tax system, which is good, um, it also acts to increase personal income taxes for many Canadian families um, because they can no longer claim those tax credits, and it has the net effect of actually increasing the, the amount of taxes that you pay overall. That income splitting that you talked about, that was something that, well, most people liked. Most families seem to benefit from it. Why did they take it away? And is there any talk of bringing something like that back again? Yeah, I mean, there, there was certainly a lot of discussion about that. One of the things is it's definitely one of the more expensive tax credits um, because it does. that's one of the biggest reasons why um, Canadians have actually seen tax increases is because they took away that income splitting tax credit. Um, so a lot of people were actually benefiting from that. Um, to quite an extent, you know, certain families were benefiting almost to the extent of $1,000 if you're a middle-income family from tax credits like that. Um, so that would be one of the main reasons why they took it away is just because the sheer cost of the actual ta- tax credit. Um, so they're trying to simplify the system, and they're saying, okay, well, we'll, we'll reduce um, tax rates instead. Um, the problem, though, then becomes that they didn't actually reduce tax rates enough to actually offset the elimination of those tax credits. Um, so it starts to become, you know, complicated. Um, and ultimately, what act- ends up happening is that you see an increase in taxes for those middle class families um, who can no longer claim those tax credits. 
Jake, there's been a handful of changes since 2015, and we talked about, yeah, obviously, that income splitting. Uh, but it seems like every year there's something new on the table that, you know, whether you're middle class or, you know, um, earning more money or even less for that matter that you should be aware of. So uh, does this underscore the importance of an individual going to an accountant or professional tax preparation service to, to make sure you're getting the best bang for your buck and the, uh, the most breaks you can possibly get? Well, certainly. I mean, there's a lot of complexities in the tax system. Um, this is something we pointed out for quite some time. Really, complexity has been increasing for, for quite some time now in the in the Canadian tax system. Um, so it's certainly hard to navigate for a lot of families. So this really just underscores kind of the, the effect, understanding, you know, all the different tax credits that are available to you or the, that have changed over time since 2015. Um, but that part is really important. Um, so, you know, the tax system is certainly getting more complex, um, you know, for everyday people. So um, it's certainly going to be important moving forward to, to fully understand, you know, all, all the different things that are available to you um, when, you're, when you're submitting your tax bills every year. Jake, thank you very much for the conversation. Sad we can't uh, stop talking about taxes, but unfortunately they are a part of our life. We appreciate your time. Thanks very much for having me on. Thank you, Jake Fuss, Senior Economist with the Fraser Institute. Yeah, death and taxes, always there, right? Well, it's interesting to me, and this was a long time ago that... I was uh, one of my coworkers said, oh, my husband is an accountant. And, you know, if anybody's interested and he said this out loud in the office, I never thought about it uh, because I'd gone to I'd either done my uh, did my taxes on my own. Boy, was that some fun years not getting a penny back. And then I would go to one of the uh, kind of the the bigger box stores that you can do taxes. And then I thought, well, you know what? I will support local. I'll support my coworker and her husband and just a great accountant. I mean, what did I know? Uh, But I ended up getting more money back than I ever had in my entire life. Yes. And I felt like I was committing a crime. And then when I sat with him, he goes, (laughs) oh, no, you you would have missed this and this and this and this previous years. And it was eye-opening. It is one of those things where you really, it's worth the extra dollars to talk to somebody who really knows the ins and outs because you make that money back. Yeah, it's almost... It For is, the most part, everybody, right? And, and it is almost like a game. Like, you know, and even the RSPs, at first you think, well, I can't afford to put money to RSPs. Maybe you can't afford not to with the, the, with the bucks and the rebates you'll get back. And, and, and then you add kids to the mix. Yeah. And those things that I found out about, like, for example, summer programs that you can, and if there are any arts or sports, it used to be the case. I mean, and again, it changes. These are things that we don't want to leave on the table because money is tight mm-hmm. enough as it is. And leave on the table is right. And, and because everything does change, we don't know. That's yeah. not our gig. That's not our thing to follow all these things. When you have somebody whose job it is and they like to do that. Yeah. Here's all my stuff. Thank you. I'm grateful. And, and this is where the cliche, you get what you pay for, comes into play in the sense that, yeah, you, what if you're spending 60, 80, 100 bucks? I know that some of these, you know, you know, depending on how complex, it might be a few hundred dollars. It might be five or 600 to get your taxes done. Mm-hmm. But when you're getting that back in spades uh, versus, you know, not getting a thing, uh, a penny back, that, that is huge. Yeah, it's well worth yeah. it. And, and it, particularly if, if you're going to be owing, you want somebody on your side to say, okay, well, this is the, the, the best we can do for you mm-hmm. because- Last thing you want is money coming out of your pocket. And it's not like the government is like, hey, guys, you forgot this. You forgot <laughs> to claim this because they won't remind you, right? But they so will remind you if you when owe. you owe, exactly. So get every penny you can. It's well worth it. Smart technologies have made our lives a whole lot easier and allowed us to stay more connected. But is there more happening under the surface than we realize? With details on the ugly side of tech, we're joined by Dr. Future himself, Tom Keenan, professor in the School of Architecture, Planning and Landscape at the University of Calgary and author of the best-selling book, 
techno creep. Good morning to you once again, Tom. Good morning, Andy and Sue. I want to ask you about this because we know that our smartphones are incredibly advanced tools, and I think we all know that they collect some of our data, but... I don't mind if an ad pops up on Facebook telling me about jeans because I searched jeans on Google. To me, that's kind of a, a bonus. But should I be worried about those things that I'm not so happy about? Yeah, you should be worried about what's being collected. I, I, I use all these technologies because I want to be able to talk about them. And my Alexa just said, excuse me, based on your past ordering habits, it's time to reorder cat milk. Now, I don't know if my cat has been meowing to the Alexa, <laughs> but there is this whole profile out there, this entire world, this ecosystem. And what's creepy about it is, let's say you looked at that uh, Rolex watch on, on eBay and you didn't buy it because it was $5,000 and you love your significant other, but not that much. Then you go to another site like Facebook and you see an ad for that same watch. What you don't know is you've just been punked. You've been sold in an online auction where some company bought the right to advertise something that they know you want. And when I was researching TechnoCreep, I did some looking into the neuroscience and your brain knows stuff before you're conscious of it. So they get into your brain, and of course Elon Musk is talking about really getting into your brain with this company called Neuralink. He's talking about physical brain implants. That's creepy. Fascinating yet scary at the same time. Okay, so I want to ask you, Tom, we were talking about this 10-year challenge that you see on Facebook right yep. now. Is stuff like that, is that really a scam or is it just because they want us to be entertained? Facebook denies that they started the 10-year challenge. So if you don't know what it is, you're supposed to post a photo of yourself 10 years ago and today. And Facebook says, oh, no, we didn't do that. That was started by a user. Now, I do not believe every word that comes from Mark Zuckerberg's lips, but I do think it probably was started by a user. Why is it dangerous? Because you're giving up information. Now, you say, oh, who cares about a photo? It, one theory is that somebody wants it to perfect aging technology. So the police already can take a photo of a child who was kidnapped 10 years ago and show us how they would age. We sort of have that. But they might want to make that better. But the other thing is that, you know, the... That every photo of you that's out there can be used against you. As one example, in 2011, after the Vancouver Stanley Cup riots, there were photos of all kinds of people rioting. And the Vancouver police posted them on a website, and people ratted out their friends. Oh, that's my buddy Charlie. He's setting fire to that car. So photographs of you are personal information. Put them up there if you want to, but realize that you're taking a risk. I, I wonder also, you know, that's the photo challenge we talked about. What about those quizzes that seem nonsensical? Like, you know what, uh, tell us about your favorite flavor of ice cream and, you know, uh, how many uh, countries you visited on the face of the earth. Should we be concerned about those quizzes? So they're, they're building a pattern of you. I mean, I think I was just thinking about it. It's, it's no secret that I'm a senior citizen. I mean, you can read my online profile. I've been around a long time. And I've noticed the ads that are coming are, are customized with the word Calgary Seniors. So Calgary Seniors are, are loving this hearing device or whatever. Well, first of all, they figured out that I'm in Calgary for my IP address. And somewhere in some databases, obviously, it has a rough idea of my age. So what you need to know is that there are creepy companies out there, and they're not really regulated. 
If you give up information like you like chocolate chip ice cream, don't be surprised if they start you know, offering you coupons. In fact, there's one company that's experimenting with smart shelves in grocery stores. And as you walk by, the shelf will know what you are because it'll measure your body size and maybe give you a coupon on your phone. So the real world is going to get creepy as well as the cyber world. Tom, someday we just need to have you on the entire show to talk about all this stuff. It's always fascinating. Thank you so much for joining us. And uh, I guess, you know, beware, right? Just be careful what you do, what well, you do, and what you share. As I write in every book that I autograph, don't be creepy. <laughs> Fair enough. Thank you, Tom Keenan. Always appreciate talking to you. Bye. Tom Keenan, professor at the School of Architecture, Planning, and Landscape at the U of C, also author of the best-selling book that he talked about, pick it up, called Techno Creep. A bubble gave birth to the stars. That's the easy way of saying what a team of astrophysicists have found. With details on this space bubble, we are joined this morning by Mike Foley, graduate student at the Harvard-Smithsonian Center for Astrophysics. Good morning to you, Mike. Thanks for joining us. Good morning, Sue. Thanks for having me. I'm very uh, excited to be here. I'm excited that you're here, too. I know that I completely oversimplified that, but let's let's break it down and talk about this, the bubble and, and its role in shaping the stars that surround us. Give us a little breakdown of what you've figured out. Yeah, absolutely. So we've been studying the local bubble, which is a large, low-density cavity um, around our sun that we've known about since the 1970s. But now, for the first time, we're actually able to get the 3D structure of this bubble and start understanding where star formation is happening. And it turns out that all our local star formation is happening on the surface of this bubble. So, Mike, is this due to technology? You mentioned the 3D aspect. Was this not available previously? Like, How, how did things change in order for you to get a greater understanding? Exactly, yeah. So we've been working with 2D data for quite some time. When you look up at the night sky, you can basically go up and down or left and right. But now for the first time, we're starting to get distances to things. Um, so particularly the Gaia satellite has been instrumental in this, giving us distances to about a billion stars. And so using these new distances, we're able to start looking at things in 3D and figuring out um, where things lie in our local solar neighborhood. So what exactly is this bubble? What is it made of? How did it form? So we think that what happened was around 14 million years ago, supernovae or stellar explosions started occurring roughly where our sun is right now. These explosions then pushed out interstellar gas, forming sort of a dense shell. Um, and then as supernovae continued going off, pushing this shell outwards, eventually you get enough gas on the shell of the bubble to start collapsing under its own gravity and forming new stars. So really, this is stellar death contributing to stellar birth. And then our sun just made its own way into the bubble just kind of by accident. And now we we got a front row seat to what's going on. So the young stars, they form on the surface of the bubble, not on the inside. Is this kind of like the, the surface of the bubble is the soil to a plant? Exactly, yes. Um, so inside the bubble, there's not much going on. There's not a lot of gas or dust or even stars. And so all the action is happening kind of on the surface of the bubble. You can think about it almost like our galaxy is a little bit like Swiss cheese. Um, and you have a bunch of these little holes that uh, are bubbles that have been swept up by supernovae. And then on the edge of the holes in the Swiss cheese is really where all the stars are forming. And we just so happen uh, to sit in right smack dab in the middle of one of these holes. 
Uh, so how big a deal is this for, for, for folks like you who, who've studied and who've been looking at this and to, to have something like this finally be discovered that's been kind of right in front of our faces for so long? What, what, what does this do for, for what you do for a living? Yeah, it's very exciting because, as you say, we've been sitting right in the center of this bubble for um, all of astronomy. And so uh, now to be able to place things in 3D context, particularly to look at all these nearby famous star-forming regions that people have been studying for decades, if not centuries, and to say, wow, they all sit on the surface of this bubble. We can start now constructing the story for how the stars are forming within those clouds. So we can trace back the evolution of this bubble and try and really understand um, what our sun's place is in the, in the Milky Way by looking at the star formation around us. Mike, as lay people who enjoy, you know, watching NASA launches and, uh, you know, hearing about the different telescopes, you know, you know, for us, uh, we're looking, always looking for something fantastical. But we do know that space exploration can be very expensive. We do know, you know, even these telescopes. Is it through the latest technology like the 3D modeling and other, you know, I guess, models and virtual representations that we're going to learn more? Like, I guess what I'm getting at is, are we going to see a lot more discoveries in the next handful of years? Absolutely. I really think we're kind of in a golden age of astronomy right now. And with the launch of the James Webb Space Telescope and a lot of new telescopes coming online, we hope to be able to construct more of a 3D picture of our entire galaxy in the next couple decades. So right now we can only do it within a couple hundred or thousand light years around our sun. We want to be able to do it for the entire tens of thousands of light years that our galaxy occupies. Mike, curious about the bubble. Is it still growing? And what happens if, can it pop like a traditional bubble the way we think of? That's a great question. Yeah, so it actually still does have some momentum. So it is moving outwards thanks to all the supernovae that propelled it. Right now it's only moving about six kilometers per second, which sounds really fast to us. But in uh, in the galaxy, that's not all that fast. So we think what's going to happen is it's going to continue to slow down um, and then eventually it's just kind of kind of merge with its surroundings. And a new super bubble will likely take its place in the future. You know, it's interesting. That was my next question is, is this bubble an anomaly? But, you know, you're saying that we'll switch it up with a super bubble. I'm wondering, though, uh, deeper than that, Mike, when it comes to you in the world of astrophysics, how does one get into this field in the sense that when I start to think about the universe, I have to, you know, kind of find a quiet corner and shut that down right away because I can't wrap my head around not having every answer. So how did you get into something like this? That's a great question. I've always kind of been interested in space. Uh, I got interested in research as an undergrad. And so um, really in, in this field, if you start working as an undergrad in, in different research projects, uh, there's so much to do. So really we have more data than we have people right now. So if anyone's interested in working on stuff, um, we can send you some data. We'd love to have you. Do I need to be good at math? <laughs> So um, if you have enthusiasm, you're, you're good. <laughs> That's good. Did you ever want to be an astronaut or is this, were you happy on the ground seeing what was happening in the sky and in outer space? So personally, I think being an astronaut's the coolest job. I've always been happy on the ground. Feet on the ground. Okay, this is the last question. It's the most fantastical of all of them, Mike. And that is, is there, in your experience, do you think there's any chance that there is life intelligent life uh, off of the planet Earth? So that's a great question. And that's the big question right now. A lot of people are starting to focus on this. 
Personally, I do. Um, I think that it'll take a lot of work to be able to find it, but I'm hopeful sometime within the next couple decades we may obtain the signature of life on some other planets. Um, whether it's intelligent life or not, I guess remains to be seen, but I'm hopeful that sometime soon we'll get some signatures of it. Some would debate about the intelligence of the life on Earth, so I guess <laughs> always up for debate. Hey, thank you so much for joining us, Mike. Great conversation. Loved having you on. Of course. Thank you so much. Thank you, Mike Foley, graduate student at the Harvard-Smithsonian Center for Astrophysics. The Calgary Awards celebrate and recognize outstanding achievements and contributions made by Calgarians. Nominations are now open, and this morning we are joined by the 2020 Calgary Citizen of the Year and retired executive director of Action Dignity, Marichu Antonio. Good morning to you, Marichu. Good morning, Andy and Sue. Thank you for joining us. Uh, let's talk about your experience. What did it mean to you to be nominated and, of course, win the Citizen of the Year Award? Well, the award truly means so much to me because I felt validated as a citizen of equal value. You know, people usually see a colored person as a newcomer to Canada who needs services, whether they were born here or no matter how long they have been in Canada. But being recognized as the first woman of color to be citizen of the year is a reflection of change that Calgary is going through. To me, this opens the door to more diverse community members to be recognized for their outstanding contributions. So I'm really proud of that. Yeah, very much so. And congratulations again to you. So, Marichu, in your opinion then, what makes a citizen of the year? Who, who is somebody that would, in your eyes, you know, be recognized for something like that? Uh, in the first place, I didn't expect this award. I was just, I'm, I'm someone who's very passionate in serving the community and wanted to exercise my right as a citizen, give back to the community. So to me, any ordinary Calgarian who is doing good things in the community and having a voice as a participant in solving the issues and the problems of our community and not just relying on those who are in power or in government or who have resources, I think they will be qualified. In fact, this is really for ordinary Calgarians who are doing extraordinary contributions to our society. Do you think it's a case, Marichu, that we all know somebody who could be worthy of this, but just never thought that the, you know, there was an avenue and an opportunity to recognize them? Yes, uh, I think so. There are so many people out there who, who are doing good things. And it's very important, especially at this time. This is a very challenging time for us. And if we look at what people are doing at the community level, together as a collaborative or as individuals, just look through the website of Calgary Awards. If you read through the uh, individual awardees, you will see there the um, outstanding achievements of individuals in various areas of community work through the arts or the youth or uh, commerce, business, you know, they can nominate organizations, they can nominate individuals that have done um, significant contributions to our, to our city and to our country. Merchu, I think we're, we're very quick to criticize in our world. So this is a chance to do quite the opposite and to recognize those who do wonderful things. And you're right, there are a whole lot of people in our city that should be recognized. So let's hope people will nominate them. Thank you so much for your time. And once again, congratulations for last year's award. 
Thank you very much. Marichu Antonio was nominated and won as Calgary Citizen of the Year. She's also the retired executive director of Action Dignity. So if you want to submit somebody, if you've got somebody in your world mm-hmm. you think should be given a Calgary Award, you can go to calgary.ca. The award nominations are open through till February 9th. Thanks for downloading and listening to the podcast. Don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review for free at Apple Podcast, Google Play, or wherever you find your podcasts. And tune in to Mornings with Sue and Andy from 530 to 9 every weekday morning on 770 CHQR.